We'll be hearing more from her. What are you guys doing? No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> uh, today is Memorial Day, and we remember the men and women that gave the ultimate sacrifice. There's a song that says, give them a great big hand. I like what Jeannie was saying, that today we celebrate Memorial Day, but for some people, every day is Memorial Day because they have to try and go on without their loved one, but because of their loved one, we're able to go on. I think it was George Patton that made the statement, don't, that we ought not to weep and cry for those that have been lost. We ought to thank God that they lived and that they were willing to give. Amen. Aren't you glad for them? If you would watch this video as we honor our fallen. Our Father who art in heaven, today we remember those men and women who have died in service to our country. We pause to reflect on the lives sacrificed while protecting our freedoms. We confess that most days we are oblivious to the price paid by men and women in uniform, and yet we live every day in the freedom they laid down their lives to give us. So today, we recall the words of Jesus when he said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And let us not forget that each life lost represents other lives that are left to pick up the pieces. We lift up widows and widowers, brothers and sisters, parents and children of the service men and women who fought valiantly for our country. We ask for your peace and comfort to never leave them. God, we thank you for the lives of these men and women. May their memory and their service never be forgotten. Amen. In Washington, there's a, D.C., there's a place that's called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. But I want you to understand that that soldier may be unknown to us, but he is not unknown to God. And God remembers. Aren't you glad that there's a God that remembers? Today we continue in our series on faith, and I thought it would be appropriate to, on this day, to preach this message, and it's simply a faith that remembers. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word, God, that it brings life to us. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts today and help us to remember, God, all that has been bought and paid for in Jesus' name. Amen. In Hebrews 11 and 13, it says, these all died in faith. Would you say that with me? They died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is what you might say a memorial chapter. It stops to remember men and women that believed, that had faith. It creates sections of these men and women. There were those that had persevered and went forward and they stopped the mouths of lions and they quenched the fire and were able to overcome the sword. But there were others that lost their lives, that rather gave their lives. And it said that all of these gave it because of faith, because they believed in something that they could see in their heart and yet had not obtained with their hand. We live in a challenged time because we live in a time that is, I won't believe it 
until I have it in my hand. And that's not faith. Faith isn't about what I've already got. Faith is about believing for those things that I do not yet have, but I know that God has promised me. Amen? Amen. So when it comes to family, we don't wring our hands and we don't give up faith. We, we don't give up hope. We, we don't pace the floor. We simply stand in the gap, make up the hedge and say, God, I choose to believe what your word said. I'm going to stand on it no matter what it looks like. Everybody say, I believe. I believe. Faith that remembers does something to us. When we look back and we read the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it gives us courage and strength to believe for ourselves. How many of you have ever been around someone that was just a great person of faith? Wave your hand if you've ever been around someone that was a great person of faith. Did you, let me ask a question. What did it do to you to hang around them? It caused your faith to grow, didn't it? It caused you to step up to believe. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever been around a great person of doubt and fear? Wave your hand. Now, what did that do for you? Nothing good. It, it, it caused you to doubt and to fear. You know, it's amazing to me because the, you remember the old saying is, you are what you eat. I just experienced this morning in the green room. Stepped into the green room, minded my own business, and was attacked by the worship team. So what are you talking about? Well, there were brownies in there, and there were some cookies, and there were some, there were some white chocolate-covered pretzels, and they looked at me, and they said, what, look what you did to us. You brought this stuff in here for us. I said, I didn't do that. I, I said, Debbie did that. Oh, yeah, Debbie did that. I said, I'm serious. Debbie brought that in. See, they just assumed because my waistline is a little bit bigger than hers. <laughs> is anybody in the house? They assume that I must be guilty. That's called guilt by association. Just because I look like a Twinkie doesn't mean I brought it in. So what I'm saying is this, is you, you tend to, when you hang around people, you tend to gravitate to what they do. Now, I noticed that all these people that were talking about health were back there eating brownies today. I brought out a bag of chips that Ray brought, and they behind me. Behind, no, I'm kidding. When I, did you ever notice that if you hang around, how many of you want to eat healthy? Raise your hand if you really in your heart want to eat healthy. Hold your hand up. Keep it up there a second. Take names down, okay? You want to eat healthy. Now, how many of you find yourselves that want to eat healthy? How many of you have ever found yourself in a situation where what was on the table wasn't healthy at all. And so what did you do? Strong-willed, determined, persevered, and grabbed you a plate and started filling it up. Eddie Williams isn't here today. They're traveling on vacation, so I'm going to talk about him. <laughs> Just in case you're watching online. Eddie, every time Eddie travels with me, he, he gets out of Kathy's presence, and he starts gravitating toward hot dogs. I've never seen a guy that liked hot dogs so much. He, he, and so we go in. We were in Lynch, Kentucky on a mission trip. I went into this place. They had grilled chicken. They had hamburgers. They had, you know, it, it, they had salads. It wasn't like the only thing on the menu was a hot dog. Eddie ordered a foot long. Got that hot dog. I think it was covered. Those were on that trip. I can't remember if it was covered with chili, but I mean, man, he got it. He, and then after he got it and he's sitting at the table, he said, see what you made me do? I said, you want to explain that to me? <laughs> How am I responsible for that hot dog in your mouth? But what happens is it's a lot easier for us to 
blame someone else than it is to accept responsibility. I had a 44 chest and a 32 waist. Now, <laughs> there have been a, lot, a few changes. <laughs> and I got nobody to point a finger at except me. Now, Debbie likes a strong man. <laughs> you know, the unique thing about Deb is that she encourages me to stop and then she'll go buy brownies. <laughs> so she tells me all the time, she said, I, I, I'm going to get someplace here. Just hang out a second. Uh, so she, she tells me, I'm, I'm getting to that. <laughs> no, I'm getting. So, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, I, if I bring a bag of chips in, I walk in and she's, got, she's eating like the whole bag of chips. And she said, why do you do this to me? You know, I, I, I don't, don't bring these things in the house. Because we end up becoming or partaking in what we hang around. So let me talk to you a minute about your world. By your own mouths, you've testified to the fact that when you're around people that are negative and that worry, you get negative and begin to worry. You said that when you're around people of faith, that it causes your faith to grow. So here's a pop quiz. Who should you hang around? Some of you are looking at me with a quizzical look on your face. <laughs> Say it on three. One, two, three. Faith. Hang around people of faith. I noticed something in my own life when I was young. When I hung around ministry that had, that, that, that had a strong gift of faith in it, that believed God and that, that was used in, in gifts of knowledge and in gifts of healing and things like that. After I hung around that, when I went someplace, that started operating in my life. Why? Because I was, I, I was gathering and I was, what's the word I'm looking for here? I was beginning to get an impartation of what I was hanging around. Israel did well when leaders of faith led them. But there was consistently a change in command. And so a leader that didn't embrace God fully would come, and the whole nation seemed to go that way. And, it, and, and then someone that did believe God, it seemed like the whole nation went that way. Now Joshua stood and he made a declaration. He said, today I set before you life and death. Choose life. He said, as for what? Me and my house, we're going to what? We're going to serve the Lord. Let me share something with you. It doesn't do any good for us to start looking across the street and pointing fingers at a house across the street until we get our house taken care of. And if I've got faith in my house, can I tell you that my life is going to carry the biggest impact? Not my words, not what I'm saying, but my life will carry that impact. You, my friend, have the potential to become the greatest missionaries that your neighborhood has ever seen, that your city has ever encountered, that your state has ever embraced and your country has ever witnessed when all of a sudden me in my house. Everybody say, my house. 
I'm going to make sure at my house we're trusting God. At my house, no Beavis and Butthead going on. At my house. What are you talking about? Isn't it amazing? How, how many of you have ever turned on a television and something invaded your home that ought not be there? How many of you have ever turned on a radio and something got in your car that ought not be there? And I'm going to tell you something. If you're not careful, it'll lure you in. You'll, you'll go down the road and all of a sudden you're talking about instead of, instead of Praise God. Hallelujah. Love you, Lord. I love you, God. I just thank you, Father, for everything that you're doing for us. You find yourself going, you're cheating hard. <laughs> I know that's a long way back, but I, just, I can't give you new music because I don't know it. People ask me all the time about current pop stars and I don't know it. I don't know the songs. I don't know the television shows. And let me let you in on a little secret. I don't want to. I don't care anything about that. I want to surround myself with things that will lift me up. I want a faith that remembers. I want a faith that doesn't get lost in culture. I want a faith that doesn't get lost in, in what people are saying or what the current fad is or the current trend is, trend is. I want a faith that remembers what he spoke to us, what he has for us, so I can embrace it. Everybody say, that's the kind of faith I want. So, in Scripture, there's this guy. You remember what happens. Can I just give you the Reader's Digest version of this? So what happens is Israel kept vacillating like this, and they got to where they were completely leaving God out of the equation and thinking that it was their own genius that blessed them. God help us when America thinks we're great because of us. We're great because of God. We're great because forefathers, even if they weren't religious zealots, they acknowledged God, they embraced God, and they knew that without God there would not be a nation. And so it was a faith that remembered, except the Lord built the house. They labor in vain that build it. Israel ends up being carried into captivity and it's their own doing. How many of you have ever found yourself in trouble and it was your own fault? Thank God for all the honest people. We're going to pray for the use that didn't raise your hand. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all, we've all done things that, you know, and it, it's, it's like, and after you do, how many of you have ever done something and then you thought, oh, I can't believe I just did that. Can't believe, I thought it was a good idea to be out with my friend and when we were going to bomb, take water balloons and bomb cars, I thought it was a good idea until the car was a cop car. <laughs> I dropped down on the ground. Don't let this get out. I was a young person. I dropped down on the ground right on top of that water balloon. Busted. He took a floodlight, started shining it in the weeds. I hit Greg. I said, come on, Greg. He's liable to start shooting in here. I was petrified. I, was, I came out with my hands up. <laughs> it's a true story. Came out with my hands up, a big wet spot on my shirt. <laughs> what are you all doing in there? A lot of sweating, apparently. <laughs> and I thought, man, I, th why is it that that idea sounded so good when Greg was telling it to me? And now it seems like it was so dumb. He let us go home. I, I started walking in another direction until he was out of sight because I didn't want him coming back the next day and telling my dad I wanted to live beyond 10. <laughs> Influence. Choices that affect us forever. And so... Israel finds himself carried into captivity, and I'm sure the 70 years that they spent there, there were a lot of people going, 
I can't believe we were so stupid. I can't believe we did that. I can't believe. And then there were probably some people going, I can't believe they were so stupid and got me in this kind of trouble. One of the things I noticed about the prophets or these guys that when they prayed, they didn't separate themselves from the people. They, they said, Lord, forgive us of our sin, even if they were clean from it. But the scripture said that all have sinned, even when Daniel's praying. When it, they, they pray, they're embracing the wrong and not trying to separate it. I wonder where that idea came from. Was it just man's idea or was it God's? Well, it had to be God's because it said that Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. If there was ever a person that could have separated himself from our sin, it was him. But instead of blaming us, he stood beside us so he could redeem us. Amen? Faith that remembers. So time has rocked along, and all of a sudden, there's a new king. His name is Cyrus, and he comes to the throne, and somebody brings a scripture to him. And now this is, I'm assuming this is how this all took place because there's a reason that he releases the Jews. And it's found in Isaiah along about the 45th chapter where God wrote about this king 150 years before he existed, called him by name, and told him to release his people. I'm going to tell you, that'll get your attention. I promise you, if one of you bring me a book from the library and it says, Thus saith the Lord to Rick McNeely, and I look at that book and I find out that it was published in the 1800s, I'm going to be listening to what Thus saith the Lord to Rick McNeely has to say. And so they went and, and they started and they went back to Jerusalem and it was a good work. How many of you have ever gotten weary in doing good? You know what I'm talking about? How many, how many of you get some, how many of you have ever gotten wore out by doing something good? You know, you're cleaning your yard up, you know, it's a good thing, but you get wore out doing it, right? You're cleaning your husband's clothes up, it's a good thing. But you get wore out doing it, right? <laughs> and so you hands can get weak and it's what happened in Jerusalem. They had begun a good work. They went, and when they were first released, everything was going well, and people were filled with enthusiasm, and they began to try and rebuild the house of the Lord, and then they grew weary. Time passed, and if you're not careful, that's why you need to surround yourself with people that believe, because if you don't, what happens is as time passes, you begin to lose part of your enthusiasm for your faith, and it's a lot easier to just succumb to what's around you than to stand up and make a difference. This guy comes back from Jerusalem. There's a man, his name is Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer of a king. Everybody say he's living the good life. Do you understand what that meant to be a cupbearer of a king? It meant that you got the best wine. Now, I'm not advocating go out and get drunk. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that he got, he got the best wine. He got the best food. He wore the best clothes. He had a comfortable place to live. He, because this guy, his life was a, I mean, it was like a life that you dream of outside of the fact. The only thing that really could go bad for him is if somebody wanted to poison the king. He was going to find out about it first because he's going to be dead. <laughs> he had to taste the king's food, drink the king's wine, and then he served it to him. But I want you to watch what happens. A guy comes back from Jerusalem, one of his brothers, and he looks at him. He said, how are the, how, how's Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem? And he said, it's not good there. He, he said, the walls are broken down and the gates are burned in fire. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah hears this. And all of his luxury and all of and everything that's going good in his life and right in his life 
just doesn't mean anything now because his heart begins to remember. Faith that remembers starts to rise up inside of him. He thinks about a city that used to be the diamond piece and the pinnacle piece of the world. Jerusalem with its king. He, he knows his history. He, he knows what that nation was like under David. He remembers what God had done for them. And now it's all in ashes and ruins. And it would have been easy for him to say, well, you know, too bad. Uh, you know, things are going all right for me. But he can't do that. Because a faith that causes you to remember is a faith that will cause you to respond. He prays about this for four months. He begins to push the plate away, that fine food, that fine wine, because he can't get his home out of his head and out of his heart. He knew that God had a purpose for Jerusalem. He knew that God had a purpose for Israel. And today, my friend, I hope you understand and know that God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for you. And it's not by chance that you're living today. You were born for such a time as this. You were, this isn't a time to look back and say, oh, I, I, I long for the good old days. I long for back then. I wish I could have been born in that time frame. No, you need to stand in the gap and you need to say, you know what? God's equipped me and given me the boldness to be able to stand and make a difference in my generation. He's going to give me everything I need. He goes before the king. He's already been praying about this. Four months he's praying about this. He ends up going before King Ahasuerus. Or, and, and when he goes before him, or attack, I, I can't pronounce the other way they spell that. So everybody say Ahasuerus. It's in Shushan, the palace. He goes before him and he's sad. How many of you have ever put on a good face even when you didn't feel good on him? How many of you ever done that and come to church? How you doing? Oh, praise God. I'm, I'm doing wonderful. I'm blessed and highly favored of God. And on the inside, you're hurting. And I don't blame you because a lot of times the people asking you don't care. I mean, what happens to us when we ask, how are you doing? And, 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 and say, well, I've got some stuff going on in my life. And I'm, I, oh, well, I'll be praying for you. I'll see you later. <laughs> We're all guilty of it. We've... And so when the king notices that there's no smile on his face, and Nehemiah said, I'd never been sad in his presence before. But sometimes I just get tired of hiding what's in my heart so you can't see it. Sometimes you grow weary of carrying something that's eating away at you and you don't want anybody to know it. And so he just decided to give it to God. And he said, God, give me favor in this man's presence. And when he walked in, the king looked at him. He said, man, Nehemiah, what's going on? I mean, I, how come you're down and out? You, that's, not, that's not sickness I see on you. You're, you're sad. And he looked at him and he said, can I put paraphrase it? He looked at him and he said, man, he said, why shouldn't I be sad when the city of my father's lies in ruins and the gates are burned and the walls lay in rumble. And, and the king doesn't look at him and, and, and rebuke him for it or rebuff him for it. He said, well, what do you want me to do for you? And all of a sudden, man, he says a quick prayer. But he'd been praying for four months. And he looks at him and he says, let me go back and, and, and rebuild the walls of, of my city. Let me go back to where my fathers are buried and, and help rebuild that. And the king looked at him and he said, well, how long are you going to be gone? And he gives him a time. And then the Nehemiah man begins to feel the presence of God. How many of you ever got a little excited before? 
You know what I'm talking about? God starts to do something for you. You get a little excited, and that little excited turns into a lot excited. I remember a story about a woman that they, they had. There was an attorney coming to the church, and they, the, the, the pastor went to this woman. She'd get beside herself a little bit when she'd get up to testify. Matter of fact, she'd, clean, she'd clear her pew out. She'd woo, get to going. And he, he talked to her prior to this and said, Sis, now, we've got someone new coming. We don't want to scare them. And so if, if you would just, you know, control yourself. And she said, Pastor, I'll try, but I'm not making you any promises. <laughs> Service went on, and, you know, man, the Spirit of God got to moving. And, woo, everybody got happy. You know, they were praising and worshiping God, and he thought, man, it's going so well. I'm just going to skip doing this testimony service. So he started to go into his message, and all of a sudden, she jumped up in the middle of the crowd, and she said, Pastor, I know I told you I tried, but I just can't help myself. And man, she went to the left, and she went to the right, and she cleaned her pew out. And all of a sudden, man, the pastor's sitting there and he's going, oh, no. And he, he, after she's done, he gets his notes and he tries his best to deliver that sermon. And, man, he crosses every T, dots every I. He's using the right punctuation. Somebody say, praise God. <laughs> Let that anointing fall on me. <laughs> and after it was all over with, he thought he pulled it off. And he said, well, maybe the guy won't remember. And so he goes back and he's shaking hands. And he grabs the guy's hand and he said, well, I sure am glad you came today. I hope you enjoyed the service. And the attorney looked at me and said, well, I thought your message was a little dry, but I sure would like to have what that lady's got over there. <laughs> We're trying to hide from people the very thing that they're longing for that will change their life. Can I tell you that someone that's strung out on drugs doesn't care how pretty your service is. They don't care how eloquent you are. What they want is a God that's powerful enough to set them free from what holds them. They remember. Why do you think they're there? They're not there because they've heard about you. They're there because they remember a faith that their mama told them about, that their grandfathers told them about, and they're hungry for something to change their life. Nehemiah gets happy, and he's saying, and the, the king says, yes, you can go. And he said, well, could you, could you give me letters to tell everybody to let me pass with no trouble? Because, you know, man, it was a, a dangerous place at that time. And he said, yeah, I'll give you letters. He said, could you, could you send me some letters for, so I can get all the wood I need from the king's forest? Yeah, I'll send you letters for that, man. He's, woo! And then all of a sudden he finds out that the king, without him asking, is going to send him an armed escort to, to get him to where he's going. Can I tell you today that if God calls you there he's going to get you there you're not going to have to worry about it because my God is able faith that remembers he gets to Jerusalem he doesn't tell anybody anything about why he's there there are other folks that don't want to see Jerusalem built up there are some people that don't want to see you succeed with God they didn't want you to make the journey in the first place misery loves company I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said that when they got saved, man, their friend called them up and chewed them out. What are you doing You're going to God? Why? Because she was angry. She wanted nothing to do with God, and she didn't want her friends to have anything to do with God. Everybody say, God remembers. He goes in, and he rides through the city. And he sees the walls in ruins it's so bad that he can't even get the animal he's on through some places. And then he makes up his mind, it's time to let folks know why I'm here. And so he gathered them together. And he started telling them about the good hand of the king upon him. And that the king had sent him and requisitioned material for them, and he was there to rebuild what the enemy tore down. Can I tell you that's exactly why you're here? To rebuild 
what the enemy has torn down. To reach out to your neighbors and your friends and let them know that you serve a God that's more than enough. A God that's well able that can do exceeding and abundantly above all that you ask or think. Ask yourself this question, why am I here? You're here for such a time as this. You're here because God wants you to broaden your horizons and reach past your comfort zone and share your faith with someone that's never heard. When they found out that Nehemiah, what God had done for Nehemiah, they all got excited. Man, they're raring to go. And then as they begin to build, they encounter some opposition. How many of you understand that you're not going to live for God and not encounter some opposition? Wave your hand at me if you got that one down pat. As a matter of fact, let me ask you this. How many of you, anytime you started to make a move for God, the devil just came unglued on you? You know what I'm talking about? You, you ought to get excited when the devil gets unglued. <laughs> because you're about to make him fall apart. <laughs> Do you understand that when your faith stands up and says, yes, Lord, the devil doesn't know what to do with that. He, he tries to manipulate the situation. He, he tells Adam and Eve that God doesn't care enough about them or he would let them have access to everything. I don't know any parent that lets their children have access to anything because we're wise enough to know that some things will hurt them. And so Nehemiah faces this opposition. This is in Nehemiah 1, 8, and 9. He's, listen to what he says. He says, remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. This is a scripture where Nehemiah remembers. This is a scripture where he quits allowing the circumstance to dictate to his faith, but he lets his faith stand up and speak to the circumstance. He remembers what God spoke to Moses, that though they get scattered across the nation, across the world, if they will call on your name, if they will speak out to you, you will gather them back. That goes from Moses to Solomon. And now Nehemiah is saying, God, I believe it. I trust that you're able to do it. And so he declares it, a faith that remembers responds. And he begins to respond. When he gets there and they begin to build, all of a sudden these guys show up and this is what happens. But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. And those words begin to try and have an impact on the people around them. I'm telling you, if you let those words get in your spirit, it will begin to impact your life. And so this is what happens in verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Tobiah came by and looked at their wall and said, even if a little fox ran across your wall, it would fall down. And now they're getting discouraged and they're getting weak and they say, we can't do it because there's so much trash in the way. Everybody say, get rid of your trash. Because <laughs> when you get rid of your trash, you're going to find out that you can move forward. You got to say it this way, deal with the trash from your past. Everybody say it with me, it's trash from my past. So you don't get to bring it up to me again. But you know what happens? We let it linger around. We let it hang out. I had a, how many of you have got a 
back porch. How many of you, your back porch is your catch-all room? How many of you have a room that's your catch-all room? Maybe it's your garage. Maybe you got drawers in your kitchen. That when you open them up, they come crawling out at you. But it's all just stuff that, that just got accumulated. We don't have that. We used to have that. We decided the best way to get rid of a trash room is convert it. <laughs> if you're dealing with trash, you need to get converted. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I'm converted. I'm, going, I'm getting the trash out of my past. I'll never forget, I got so frustrated. I, was, I walked out on that back porch when we, before that thing got converted, and I had set trash bags out there so I could take it to the trash can. And I was out there trying to work around, and as I was trying to work around, man, this trash kept getting all over the place. And I remember, I thought, man, I'm so sick of this stuff. I just get this out of here right now. I got one question for you. Who's going to pick that up? <laughs> You're just rearranging it, man. <laughs> You're not getting rid of it. There comes a time in your life, and I hope this works because I didn't plan this. But there comes a time in your life where you need to. <laughs> Come here a minute, Rick. <laughs> there... <laughs> I'm telling you that that trash will haunt you if you let it. Trash has got a way of just floating around. The only way you're going to quit floating trash is when you step on it. Now, I know. Are y'all with me? That's what you're supposed to do is catch me. Okay. No, you can't. You can go sit down now. You're a little late on the job. <laughs> if, if, see, the reason we won't deal with the trash is because of stuff like that. It's, there's some pain involved <laughs> in dealing with your trash. But we have a God that's a healer. So what I learned is if I'm willing to quit putting it off and deal with the big stuff, oh, the small stuff will follow suit. Everybody say, deal with it. Now, you're not going to be able to dig through trash and stay calm, cool, and collected. Sometimes that trash you're dealing with, if you're not careful, will knock you right off your feet. <laughs> don't you all understand that that was, that, don't you believe that I intended that to happen? I'm having a flashback from my past right now. I was preaching in a church, and they had a high altar that was up like this. I went to step over the altar. I hung my heel on the altar. It spun me around, and I fell flat on my back in the floor. I got up, and I said, can I make you believe I did that on purpose? And the pastor was in the back laughing his head off going, it was her dad. <laughs> I'm just telling you, dealing with the past can hurt. But if you want to embrace your future, you've got to get your past out of the way. Now stay with me. Because all that trash, they had to move. Go ahead. It's good for you, I think, on my feet. <laughs> no, okay. Of course, I wasn't on my feet a minute ago. <laughs> no. 
So you, you have to, you have to let someone get rid of this stuff. Do you know that Calvary was a place of trash? It was outside the city, and that's where they carried all the trash at the foot of that. And so what Jesus did at Calvary's cross is deal with your trash. He moved it. He got rid of it so it can't haunt you anymore. What was left under that trash was burnt stones. They didn't look like they did when they were new. They weren't in their former glory. They weren't shiny and beautiful. And the enemy even alluded to them and said, do you think you're going to take these burned stones, these charred old stones, and rebuild that wall? What's he doing? He's trying to get you to throw away any hope of your future. Because what I left through, what I went through burned me. It scorched me. It left me in ashes. But there's a God that comes walking through our ashes, <laughs> gathers up the burned stones of our life, and he says, let me show you what I can do with what others consider worthless if you'll just let me have it. And so he begins to set them in fashion. A young girl that was molested by her father consistently and felt like she was worthless watched God gather the burned stones of her life and build a ministry that would reach around the world. Yes. Nobody knew her name then, but everybody knows it now. Yes. Joyce Myers. She refused to allow the devil to rob her of her future by trying to intimidate her with her past. Are you ready to move forward? How many of you in here are ready to let God build something with your life? Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Nehemiah refused to give up. They wanted him to. They tried to intimidate him. They, they said, hey, you need to come over here. You need to come have a talk with us because we think you're trying to rebel against the king. He said, I knew they were just trying to keep me from it just trying to distract me. And he said, I can't come meet with you. I'm involved in a great work. Do you understand that what God is doing in your life is great? You may not recognize it right now, but it is a great work. I, I, I looked at my, Debbie and I sometimes have sat and talked, and I said, I feel like I've lived three lifetimes, or almost four, because there was a lifetime that I lived without Christ. And then there was a lifetime that, where I found Christ, and I wanted so much to do something for him. And I I remember mopping a floor and, 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 and praying, God, you, you've got to. Yeah, there used to be a song that said, Jesus, use me. Please don't refuse me. Surely there's a work I can do. Even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. For though the cost be great, I'll work for you. I mopped that floor and I sang that song so far out of tune that God was the only one that could have enjoyed it. <laughs> but I meant it from my heart. And I didn't care what it was. I didn't care if it was scrubbing a toilet. I didn't care. I just wanted to do something for him. God help us when our ambitions lift us up instead of lift him up. Help us when all of a sudden we lose the humility of heart that causes us to come to him and say, God, whatever your will is, do it in my life. Because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. God wants to build you, but you've got to let him do it his way. Sometimes we're trying to build our own castles and our own palaces, but they won't stand. Let God build you. Don't allow the devil to snuff out your future. And don't allow ego to destroy your present.
You've got to allow God to reach into your heart and make you new. Nehemiah said, I'm not going down there. They built that wall in 52 days. And even the enemy had to acknowledge that was the hand of God. How many of you ready for your walls to go up? Amen. Now, I don't want you to get confused because I've been talking about taking walls down. Now I'm talking about building them up. Well, that pastor can't make up his mind. He tells me one week to take them down. Next week he says build them up. What I'm saying to you is that your life, you can't begin to build your life and take you, until you take down walls that are fearful of him and begin to build walls that celebrate him. Amen? So let me end with this. Nehemiah had the past to look to, and it was a faith that remembered. It was a faith that knew what God had done. And a faith that remembers is a faith that responds. He remembered that when David came back to the city of Ziklag, he found it burned with fire. Everything he had lay in ashes. All his stuff was stolen and his family kidnapped. And his own men looked at him and said, we ought to pick up these stones. And I'm sure there were several burned stones around there. We ought to just stone you. But David's faith remembered that God had anointed him a king. And just because he didn't see it yet didn't mean that it wasn't going to happen. As a matter of fact, if God said it in his mind, it's already happened. He's just waiting for you to step into your place. And so David remembers and he begins to cry out and he encourages himself and the Lord his God. When's the last time you encouraged yourself? We call somebody else to encourage, oh man, I am so down today, I'm just depressed. We come to church and look to get encouraged. Preach something to me, pastor. I'm just, I'm just, you better have something good today because I'm telling you what, I've had a bad week. You don't have something that makes me happy. I may not even come next week. But when's the last time you encouraged yourself in God? See, to encourage yourself in God, you've got to have something in here. <laughs> well, how do I get something in there? <laughs> I, hope, I hope I'm not the only source of your learning about Scripture. I hope that the only time you hear me read it, I hope that's not the only time you're reading it. Because I'm telling you that when you get in here, you'll find out that the Scripture said, I can run through a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. You'll find out that it said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You'll find out that he said, you've been made more than a conqueror through him that loved you. For neither death, nor height, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll find out that his name is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and is saved. Everybody do this. It takes two hands. Say it. Safe. Enemies trying to call you out, and you know you're safe. Luke Garrick slid into second base, and the umpire went, Safe. True story. And he kept doing that. He did that and yelled, save. Lou Garrett got up and looked at him and said, I'm safe. He said, I know you're safe and you know you're safe. But 50,000 people just watched me call you out. <laughs> Lou Garrett turned around and walked off the field. 
If that was a game, this isn't a game. So I don't care how many times the devil goes. He's just trying to intimidate you. He knows you're safe. He's going, I know you're safe. You know you're safe. But I'm calling you out. I don't care what you call me. I'm not going. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to believe what God said. And I'm not going to be intimidated by the enemy. I'm moving forward. Somebody say, move forward. Remember, a faith that remembers is a faith that will act. And let me end with this. Come on. Today, Richard led us in communion. He read a scripture. Scripture he read was Paul quoting what Jesus said that night before he entered the greatest battle of his life. He knew he would come out of this battle a winner, but he knew it was going to be painful. There wasn't a doubt in his mind that he would overcome, but he knew that it would not come without a fight. So he had looked at his disciples earlier and he said, no man takes my life. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to pick it back up. This promise I've received from my father. But that night, the last night that he was with them, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks. And he said to them, this is my body. It's given for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me because a faith that remembers will respond. When we take communion, we're not going through a ritual. We're just not fulfilling a religious deed. But we are remembering. A faith that remembers responds. He'll never forget you. He always remembers you. I told you about the time I walked into a cemetery back up in the hills of Arkansas and read an epitaph on a tombstone that said, devoted friend, or it said, loving mother, devoted wife, and my best friend. That tomb was dated the late 1800s, early 1900s. I turned walking away from that tombstone and I said, God, it doesn't seem right to me that someone that meant so much to so many should be forgotten. I hadn't got three more steps and God spoke to my heart and said, I haven't forgotten her. I got choked up right in that cemetery and I was, I was reminded that a faith that remembers is never forgotten. Would you stand with me today? I don't know what trash has tried to surround your life. I just know that that trash isn't yours. You need to, but you don't understand. I produced it. I, I'm the one that made that trash. That's why he went to Calvary. So you wouldn't have to deal with your trash anymore. It's not your trash now. It belongs to him. He said, you, whosoever will, let them come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, just come on over here. I, I got a place for you. I, I've got the light on for you. I, I've got a plan for you, a faith 
that remembers will carry you past all your trash and revive the brokenness of your life and build you a house that will be talked about forever. <laughs> Come on and let's raise our hands and give Him praise right now. Father, we thank You. We magnify You. I'm going to invite the prayer partners to come up today. If you're in this place and there's some things that you're dealing with, that you're struggling with, don't be embarrassed or ashamed. You're just in a place in your life where we were all in at one time or another. After I've come to God, I, there's been more brokenness in my life. There's been more trash that I've had to deal with. But the good news is I don't have to deal with it alone. Is that He's there for me now. I'm not wallowing around in it or, and it's not laying me flat on my back anymore. And He's taken the sting out of death so I can move forward with a hope in Him that can't be denied. If you're in here today and you've got a need, I want you to come right now. I'm going to hold for just a moment and give you an opportunity to come. Prayer partners will meet with you and they'll pray with you. Just take a moment right now. If you don't have a need, I want you to stretch your hands toward our sister, and I want you to stretch the other one toward heaven. And I want you to pray two prayers today. One prayer for our sister, and the other prayer is that God will ignite your faith so that it doesn't just remember, it responds. You, my friend, are the catalyst and the tool that God is going to use to fill the seat next to you. You're the instrument that God wants to use to bring someone to the knowledge of His love and goodness. The question is, will you let Him use you? The answer to that is yes. Stretch that hand to heaven right now and say, here I am, God. Use me. Let's pray this prayer together today. Father, we thank you for this Memorial Day. God, we remember, we, we remember those heroes that gave their all for this nation and our freedoms. Those that never came back from the battleground and we remember the families that have dealt with that pain and have moved forward with the hope of a better life and a promise because of the sacrifice that was made, we remember today. God, we remember the sacrifice that you gave. Lord Jesus, we remember that you laid down your life so we could have life more abundantly. And we refuse to let the devil steal that promise from us. So today we declare that our faith is going to respond. Today, we make a choice to stand up and be heard and be counted and say, here I am, God, use me. Lord, send me. Let my voice make the difference in someone's life. Let my testimony apprehend a heart so it's forever changed for you. And as we walk out of this place together today as family, Lord, let your arms surround us and hold us. Cause us to always remember that we are loved. And that we are overcomers in Jesus' name. Come on and give my a hand clap of praise in this house today. As you go out to enjoy your Memorial Day while you're barbecuing burgers and hot dogs and or you're frying fish, or you're grilling ribs, whatever you're doing, I wonder if you take a moment to just gather with your family and when you pray to acknowledge those that sacrificed and gave all for this country and to remember the one that gave all for every one of us. His name is Jesus. God bless you. We love you. 